Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 14, the third part of our series on the blessings of God. And today we're going to be looking at the blessing of the Spirit. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, again, we turn to you. We come in the name of Jesus, seeking your heart, your ways, your will. We ask that you'd anoint our minds, our ears, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and the will to obey and follow and walk in your word. Lord, thank you that we can trust and we can rest in you. And all God's people said, Amen. So often, we fail to realize what we have in Christ. If we'd only read the Bible, if we only sought the Lord. I think the story of William Randolph Hearst will demonstrate that point in a simple way. See, William Randolph Hearst, he had invested a fortune in collecting art treasures from around the world. But then one day, Mr. Hearst read a description of a valuable piece of art, which he sent his agent abroad to find. And after months of searching, the agent reported that he finally found the treasure. And to the surprise of Hearst, the priceless masterpiece was stored in none other than the warehouse of William Randall Hearst. See, the multi-millionaire had been searching all over the world for this treasure that he already possessed. If he'd only taken the time to read the catalog of his own treasures, it would have saved him a lot of time and a lot of money. So often that can be true of us. I would like to read from Ephesians 1 through our text today. And I want to show you what we have in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. First, in verses 3 through 6, we see our election. This is the past. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of grace. He freely bestowed us in the beloved. Well, then it's in verses 7 through 12, our redemption. That's our present tense. We have been redeemed. Let me show you in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view of the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, the things in heaven, the things on earth, in him, 
And also we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, and to the end that we who are the first hope in Christ would be the praise of glory. We have election. We've been elected. We've been chosen, chosen and given redemption. And we're experiencing that today. But today we're going to look at really our future tense. And let's look at our inheritance in verse 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us a pledge in our inheritance, with a view to redemption of God's own possession and the praise of his glory. See, it's in verse 11, he says, after listening to the message of truth, that truth was the gospel of salvation. In the New Testament, that verb occurs listening around 450 times with the primary sense of to hear. And it's associated with other senses such as listen carefully or giving heed or comprehending. Let me read Matthew 13, verses 14 and 16. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With the ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, and otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears hear because they hear. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word believes him who sent him has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Luke 11 makes it clear too. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the words of God and observe them. So we see in verse 13, having also believed, in verse 13, we see you were sealed in him. That's the Holy Spirit promise. In verse 14, you are given the pledge of our inheritance. Who or what, though, is the Holy Spirit? He is a person. He is the third person of the triune Godhead. Acts 5.3 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of land? We can also know the Holy Spirit is God because he possesses the same characteristics as God we're going to see. He's a person. You can lie to him. You cannot lie to a tree. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, But one in the same Spirit works all things. Notice he's distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. Look with me at Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, 
Behold, you are there. He is omnipresent. That's the Spirit of God. Notice with me in John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper, and that he may be with you forever. See, he's called the helper or the comforter, which means one who is called to your side, as a client calls a lawyer. Notice again in Ephesians 4, 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then in John sixteen seven, notice what it says. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in Romans eight twenty six, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice again that pronoun, he himself, continually a person. He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit possesses divine attributes. Seen in Hebrews 9.14, it reminds us that he is the eternal one. He is eternal in his nature. And in Psalm 139, 7-10, it shows that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, he's omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, he is omniscient, all-knowing. He knows all things. He knows what you're thinking even now. He is ever-present in our time of need. He is also our loving friend, and he's our helper. Romans 8, 37 and 39 says this, But in all things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is also called the Spirit a promise. Look at verse 13. It says, And you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit a promise. It's Joel 2, 28 and 29. It said, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and the female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Prophesied so many years before that the spirit would come. Well, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? We're going to focus on the six blessings of the Holy Spirit of God. First, the conviction. The conviction by the Spirit. John 16, 7 and 8 explains that. But I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is convict us of our sin and our need of a Savior. Well, the regeneration is by the Spirit when we're being born again. Notice with me in Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of his Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit does this work of the washing and regeneration. John 3, 3 makes it clear. Jesus speaking says, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not by the seed which is perishable, but the imperishable, that is the living, enduring word of God. So what the Holy Spirit does is take the word of God and work in a person, bringing about conversion or regeneration. Otherwise, if a person is not regenerated, born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. Well, the Holy Spirit indwells people's lives. Let me show you prophesied back in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your unfilthiness, from all your idols. Now, he's referring to Israel. But this is what God does in salvation. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, at conversion, we receive the Spirit that lives in us. Well, there's the baptism, the Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all made to drink one Spirit. So, when we're born again, we're baptized and placed into the body of Christ. Verse 13 says that we're sealed in him with that Holy Spirit of promise, which leads us to the fifth point. The sealing of the Spirit is further proof of our faith. See, seals were used widely in the ancient world, primarily indicating ownership. They were typically made of hard stones, precious metals, that had a distinctive image engraved upon them, usually the representation of a favorite deity or a hero or a portrait. A wax seal would have a mark of ownership and identification stamped in it, identifying who was attesting what was inside the container that had been sealed. And the one true God also has marked his possessions with the seal the seal of the Holy Spirit. Not a physical mark, a physical impression, but it's a mark identifiable to the world that we are not the same. We do not see the world the same. When a person believes, 
he receives that gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a sign belonging to God. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So God seals us until that day he takes us home. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ anoints us in God who sealed us and gave us the spirit in hearts as a pledge. And then in Joel, we mentioned again that he's going to pour out his spirit on all mankind. All sons, all daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Think of the book of Acts. Many illustrations. Well, there's also the guaranteeing by the Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 9. Let me read that. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is in our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what this mortal will be swallowed up in life, now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us a spirit as pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we were absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, and I say, and prefer rather to be absent the body, is to be at home at the Lord. Therefore, we also have this ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing unto the Lord. So he's given us this promise. And we desire to long to be with the Lord in heaven because it's instilled deeply in our hearts. Notice the pledge of the future. Verse 14, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession and to the praise of glory. See, after God redeemed Israel from the slavery in Egypt, he led them to an inheritance or possession in that promised land. See, the Spirit also represents that down payment on the future inheritance for the believers that we will receive. It's like into an engagement ring. God values so much his people that he put a deposit and he'll complete the transaction in the future. The Spirit, then, is our guarantee of that full experience of salvation. See, we've only begun to taste a partial of what God has planned for you and me. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. James 2.5, listen, my beloved, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There's a promise still to come 
where we long to be with the king in that kingdom that he's prepared before the foundation of the world. For Paul, Christians are God's people, redeemed, but waiting for the completion of the redemption, just as Israel of old. God's presence is among them, is the assurance that he will take them into the land just as he's promised. If you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, one day he's coming for you again. John 14 is so clear. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. You know the picture of this? It comes from a Galilean wedding feast. Again, it's important to understand that, that when two were going to be married, the marriage would not be consummated for almost a year. There would be this patrol period of time. They were considered married. But again, the groom would go away and he would prepare a place. And he didn't know the hour or the time that he would come back but only when the father said, so he would build, he would prepare, he would occupy. Jesus is building. Jesus is praying and interceding for us, longing to come back for you and me. One day the father saying, now is the time. Go. And when he comes back, he's going to call us to himself. And we will be caught up to be with him. And we will be with him forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're coming for your bride. Thank you for the blessings that we have in you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, that we can have that assurance, that we can know that you're coming, that convicts us of our sins, that guides us all truth. Call the spirit of truth. He brings or remembers those things that we need to remember to keep us on that straight and narrow path. We know that you have given us the pledge that we're sealed with that spirit. And Lord, we long and we trust that you're coming, coming for us soon. And we thank you for the helper. We thank you for the comforter. And we find great comfort in him. Lord Jesus, we just want to bless your name. And all God's people said, Amen.